0: Morning. You ever had a brush with greatness? Right now. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> All right. Um, you, but you know those moments where uh, the common folk like us, we get just an opportunity to just sort of pass by the more significant people in our culture? I've counted three of these in my life. The first one took place in Chicago's O'Hare Airport. I was 17 years old waiting for a flight back home to Florida where I, where I grew up down there. And um, I noticed that there was, you know, I'm sitting at, at the gate. I noticed there was sort of a swell of just noise coming towards me. And uh, as I sat there, uh, I had a long wait uh, at, at the gate there, several hours. And as I sat there, this swell of noise arrived at my gate. And for just one moment, and I was sitting right next to the gate and um and um, as I sat there the 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 noise sort of stopped for a minute, and the people gathered around the noise parted and there stood Don King, you know Don King, the fight promoter, yeah, okay? he was everything that you would have expected him to be, the hair up high. It, the flight leaving from that gate uh, was actually an international flight, and, and so they had multiple flags up there, and he's grabbing them and waving them, and he's got, I think, a, probably a boxer standing next to him. Now, you youngsters probably don't know who Don King is because boxing's not what it once was. But Don King was one of the most powerful men in sports, and I just, just glancing blow with, with, with Don King that day. A few years back, I was in New York City in Central Park, and um stand in Central Park. It's a, it's a chilly spring day and bundled up in my coat and have some people with me. And we're just kind of standing there looking around and we're sort of reliving some movie scenes like Elf and a few other things, you know, that, that we knew happened right there in that spot. And walking towards us comes a man and a woman. They're walking their dogs. And as they get closer, there's a vague sort of, hey, they look familiar, or not they, he looks familiar. And as he got closer, um, we noticed that... The reason he looked familiar was because he was familiar to us. He was the newsman. This is a real brush with greatness. He was the newsman, John Stossel, right? Hero, hero of conservatives everywhere. Okay, John Stossel passed by, and you can see he, he obviously is, he's had, you know, I get this experience three times in my life, these brushes with, you know, with the elite. He, he had obviously lived through this several times because as soon as he saw the glimmer of, of reaction of, of, of our noticing him as soon as he saw that he picked up his pace right <laughs> like he he had no interest in hanging around and and off he went we actually have a picture of him it was pointless to use it this morning it's in the picture it's like you know this this millimeter tall person and you know from behind kind of looking back to make sure we weren't coming after him this past spring's another airport airport one this past spring though i got really close um, i was in the airport in atlanta a real busy airport if you've flown through there I was in the airport in Atlanta, and uh, the same, it was very, much, very similar to the Don King uh, account. You hear sort of the swell coming down the terminal, right? And we're waiting at our gate. And uh, sure enough, and I've, I've got a picture here. This is who came through the airport in Atlanta. <laughs> honey Boo Boo. Honey Boo Boo and her mother went right by me, right by me. Um, some people I was with asked, "Can we take a picture?" And the, this enormous bodyguard came out of nowhere and like put his hand in front of the cameras and said, "No." So, but we had we I had this brush with greatness, right? <laughs> now, this whole notion of greatness is a strange one. What makes what what makes some people sort of at least in our view makes them more valuable than others than us? And and I think we recognize it here sort of because of where we live. Okay, Columbus isn't my hometown, but I've adopted it as my hometown. I've lived as long here as I pretty much as I've lived anywhere else. But we have this sort of complex, right, about living in Columbus. And I know why it happens. I tell people when I go home to, uh, I grew up in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area. When I go home and tell people that Columbus is a much larger city than Tampa, Florida, they don't, they just don't believe me. Like, it doesn't matter what facts you show them, it, it's not a bigger city. Okay? But when you say we're the 15th largest city in the U.S., there's no way that, that Columbus is that big, right? And so we've kind of got this, this sort of chip on our shoulder about being, you know, a cow town or this small little, little Midwestern flyover country outpost, right? Um, but there's some significant people who've come out of Columbus, right? Um, we've got big business here. I won't mention any by name, but they're not limited to just the Midwest, right? <laughs> they're nationwide. They're all over the country. And they're right here in Columbus. And we've got this rich history. Um, if you take a look, we've got, we've got people like, like uh, maybe, James Thurber, right? The Thurber house is right here. I mean, now, this is a little bit more of, I don't know, maybe historical reference, but the cartoonist, humorist James Thurber, um, he, he now... He was much more notable after he left Columbus and went to New York City, but still born and raised here in Columbus, right? And also we've got, now we probably all living here know this name. I don't know if many people outside of Columbus know this name, but Eddie Rickenbacker is kind of like famous, you know, flying ace, and, and you know, he had more kills than anybody else to it's a certain point. And, you know, this is, he's, he's kind of a big deal historically, born and raised in Columbus. And then there's this young lady. You recognize her? I didn't either when I looked at that picture. But actress, the next one here, that's Beverly D'Angelo, right? Born and raised in Columbus. The wife from... I mean, we're talking big time here, aren't we? And no list of Columbus greatness is complete without rapper Lil' Bow Wow, right? I mean, he put Columbus on the map, okay? Now... It's kind of a strange thing, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a strange thing. This, this separation between, between, you know, those of note that are noteworthy and those that aren't. And something's been happening here in the book of 2 Corinthians. It was the relationship between Paul and the people in Corinth. It was marked by this, this sort of, well, Paul, you, you know, you've done some things for us, Paul, but now we've graduated and there are people greater than you, Paul, that we're listening to. And we've seen over the last several chapters in the book of Second Corinthians, if you've been with us throughout the summer, we've seen in the last several chapters this 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 effort by Paul to to sort of reinsert himself back into it, really into the authority to have a voice of authority for the people in Corinth. And and he's he's worked really really hard with them to try and reestablish his credentials as a voice that they ought to to listen to as actually speaking in the place of God, right? And so we've seen it over the last few chapters. In chapter 10, verse 8, Paul says that even if, even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. So Paul, he started over the last few chapters, he started to say, look, I'm going to make a concerted effort here to give you my credentials. I'm going to boast and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. We saw when we looked at chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 12, Paul says, I will keep on, I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. I mean, Paul may, I mean, he's on the offensive at this point, right? There are, there are those who are doing boasting on their own. They're boasting about what they've done. And he says, I'm going to make an effort to try and tell you that those are not voices to listen to. The ground that they're on is not, is not um, firm ground, and you need to listen to us. And he says in, in the same chapter, chapter 11, verses 17 and 18, he says, in this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. It's like he even acknowledges that what he's doing, he really ought not to be doing it. Right? I, I shouldn't be giving you my resume here, Paul says. That's what a fool would do. A fool would step in now and try and give you all of their credentials and tell you why you ought to listen to them. That's what a fool would do. But he, It's like he's saying, but I've, because of the nature of the relationship that I have with you and that others have tried to step in here, I'm going to have to go on and do what others have done. I'm going to have to boast about what, what I've accomplished. But then he turns this on end in chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 9, he says, um, towards the end, it's not in the whole verse, but he says, therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He takes the notion of boasting and he says, and this is what we've, we've looked at over the last few weeks, he takes the notion of boasting about great boasting about who I am boasting about what I've accomplished and he says this if you're going to glory in something glory in the fact that you're weak because when you're weak. God's power is used through you any accomplishment that you that you've had wasn't yours but it was God's and isn't that really the point all along. And that brings us to where we're at today in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 2 Corinthians chapter 12 you've got your Bible we're going to start at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. This is sort of the climax of his argument. Okay? There's a bit more to be said in the next few weeks, but on this, this whole issue of Paul's credentials, why has he made himself a fool? He's going he's to really put his stamp on the argument right here and say, this is why I've done this. This is why I've made a fool of myself in front of you. So take a look at, at verse 11. 2 Corinthians twelve eleven. he says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. What's happened, and, and again, we don't know the entire backdrop, but what's what's obvious here is that, that Paul had been an instrumental part in starting the church in Corinth. He'd been there over long periods of time with them. He'd suffered with them through the hard times. And then other people had stepped in, other people whose perhaps their appearance, their giftedness, whatever it was, but other people had stepped in and those people had kind of they, they were they were the ones that were that were the great ones. They were the ones that were notable. And Paul was just kind of this, this sort of thorn in their flesh. This guy who came when he came around, it was always a challenge and always difficult. Okay? But Paul says this. He says, look, here's the, here's the difference. I'm just like those guys. Okay? They've got had a message. I've had a message. They've spoken in power. I've spoken in power. I'm just like those guys, except in one way. When they came in. When they came in, they were a burden to you, okay? When they came in, they made demands on, on you personally. They made, not, not demands on you in, in, in the name of the Lord, but they made demands on you in their own name, okay? This, this is, I mean, I think today, if he, were, if he were talking about this day, he'd be saying, like, they came in and they were divas, right? They wanted the bowl of, of M&Ms, but not just any M&Ms. It had to be a bowl of just green M&Ms, right, They wanted the soda like chilled, but it had to be exactly 42 degrees because at 44, it's just too warm, right? Paul says, I I didn't do that stuff to you, okay? When I came in, we took care of our own needs so that we could then together focus on the needs of the church in Corinth, your needs together, so that you weren't concerning yourself with me alongside your everyday worries. So he says, I'm just like those people just like the ones I've called a fool, except in this way. I wasn't a burden to you when I was there. And he goes, as he goes on, look at verse 14. Verse 14, he says, Now I'm ready to visit you for, for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Right? Now, Paul he, he, to drive this home again, he says, "Look, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I'm not asking for special privileges. I'm not asking for a special seat at the table. What I am at, he's going to tell us what he is asking for in just a minute. But I'm not asking for those for this the, the the treatment of a celebrity. I'm not asking to be treated like a super apostle. Because he has a different orientation towards their relationship. Right?" He has a different orientation towards their relationship. The, the, when Paul looked at the church in Corinth, he wasn't asking what he and his ministry or he and his personal well-being could get from them. And he uses, the, he uses a couple of pictures here. Look back at it where he says, um, I'm coming to a third time, and he says, I don't want your possessions. I want you. Right? I don't want your possessions. I don't want you can, I don't want I don't want what you can do for me. I want you to be who God made you to be. I'm after you, your very soul. This isn't about this isn't about Paul trying to gain something for himself. He says that that's not that's not what makes someone great. How much they can amass from others around them. How much they can how many people they can have that bow to their needs or their desires. That's not what makes someone great. I'm not going to do that, he says, when I come to you. I'm not going to be a burden to you. He uses the imagery of a parent. He says, look, parents, it's not the obligation of the child to save for the parent. I wish it were, right? (laughs) That would be all right. But it's not the obligation of the child to save for the parent. But rather, it's the parent who spends everything they've got for the child. And you know what that's like those of you those of us in the room that have children remember holding your child that first time? Do you recall what that felt like do you Do you recall the time that your child was first picked on and bullied? Do you recall the time that your child broke that really expensive item in your home and after the beatings you forgave them and you took care of right no but but we have this. We, there's intuitively we know intuitively we understand that that the relationship in the church it's different from the relationships that we find other places, but we do have a point of reference for it okay that's it's not about becoming great it's a it's about caring for others it's about those whom God has entrusted to in my life to be to to walk the path to go down the journey. To, with, with me through the Christian life. And so he says, I'm, I'm willing to spend everything that I've got for you. Though it cost me everything, I don't want your possessions. I want you, your soul. And as he put presses on, he, oh, and he talks about as well, Just he says too, I've sent others to you, and unless... I'm mistaken, he says, Titus and the brother that he's referenced a few times without name in 2 Corinthians, Titus and this, and this brother in, in, in the Lord, they de- haven't demanded anything else of you either, have they? So why all the complaining that we're headed your way again? In verse 19, he says this, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Well, actually, Paul, yes, I do. <laughs> it, this whole, these last few chapters have sounded like a defense. He says, we've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. You catch? This is a, this is a fascinating statement. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, yeah, okay. I've taken on, I've taken on the, the, the role of a fool. I've, I've spoken boldly and I've said that, that if we defend ourselves, if we defend ourselves to you based upon the standards of greatness, based upon these standards that have been set up by the super apostles or these false teachers, that if, if we're, I'm, I'm, he said, I've been willing to take on their tactics. I've been willing to, to use their, their script in my argument with you. But here's the thing. I'm still not motivated by personal gain in this, he says. I'm doing this because, Paul's saying, I'm doing this because he believed wholeheartedly that the, the gospel truth God's message of life with Christ was spoken through him. He was confident of this. And so the very best thing, the best possible scenario for the people in Corinth was for Paul's defense to be made so that the gospel message of Christ would be heard by them. So this whole time he's been making this defense, even in that, it wasn't even for his own Gain. It wasn't even just so that, so that he wouldn't be humiliated before them or put down before. It wasn't about that. Now, have you been in that scenario, right? We've been there, haven't we? I think we recognize this. Where you're the one who sacrificed. You're the one who's worked hard. You're the one who's put in the long hours. You're the one who's suffered. And when, when it comes time for the actual payoff for all that hard work, We get cut in line by somebody, right? Somebody grabs our spot. I think what we've been reading in 2 Corinthians is Paul feeling that pinch. I think he's feeling the pinch of, I've done all the hard work here. I've sacrificed. I'm the one who took the beatings. I'm the one who's been run out of every town I set foot in. It was me. And now somebody, uh, someone else or some other group of people wants to step in and they want to take what I've built, my blood, sweat, and tears, and they want to make it their own. Now, it's a really difficult thing in that moment, isn't it? To defend yourself without becoming defensive. Defensive to defend what God has done through you for others without it becoming about me being slighted by you. Isn't that a challenge? And and doesn't the defense, the righteous defense, that this is what's best for you, doesn't that righteous defense sound an awful lot like the unrighteous one? Doesn't the defense that says, I'm doing this for your own good, sound an awful lot like, yeah, but you really hurt me? And I want you to know how deeply you hurt me. And I want you to be sorry about it. And I want you to know that I'm not coming back to the table with you until you're ready to say you're sorry for what you did to me. But what Paul reveals to us, what he tells us is going on, is that his entire defense here, it wasn't, it wasn't even then about him getting what was his. It wasn't about him not being slighted. That even in this instance... Even as Paul's defended his ministry, the purpose of the defense was so that the people in the church of Corinth would be able to hear the message of the gospel of Christ as it had been revealed to Paul. And he says, uh, I'm afraid, verse 20. So he says, this is my motivation. In verse 20, he says, for I'm afraid... I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want, to, want you to be. I fear that they I'm uh, oh, sorry, that I, may, well, as you, I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. Now, the first half of that he's going to describe to us a little clearly, but I'm not positive I understand fully what was it that they wanted out of Paul. Perhaps, it sounds to me like as we read this, they wanted him to not come around for a third time. Okay, There's always that. I kind of wish that guy wouldn't, wouldn't stop by. Right, But he emphasizes, he focuses on this statement of when I come back to you, I'm afraid that I'm not going to find you as I want you to be. And he tells us more about that fear in verse, verse 21. I'm sorry, it's still the end of verse 20. He says, I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, Gossip, arrogance, and disorder. This is like a hit list of what goes wrong in community. What goes wrong in a church? What goes wrong when people make it about theirs and getting theirs? What goes wrong when people have set up their own little kingdoms as outposts under God's kingdom? Ultimately, what happens is that our, our, our position, our kingdom building, elevates higher than building the kingdom of God. And so the quarreling begin, begins. Not just disagreement, not dis, just debate, not just argument, but quarreling. Interpersonal strife. Not just I disagree with you, but I'm disgusted by you. How could you? Quarreling. Slander, the putting down of others. Gossip, talking about others. Arrogance. Okay? These are all things that, that mark communities these are communal problems that these are these are these are indications that we've missed the gospel truth that we've missed the reality of the situation that the god who's real has made each of us in his image that we have one spirit who who unites us and ties us all together this is what goes wrong at the corporate level and in verse 21 he gives us the rest of his fear he says i'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. And I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Because you see, what happens is there's corporate trouble. There's corporate trouble. There's, there's all the, the anger and the quarreling and the gossip and the slander. There's all of that. But there's also the individual trouble, Right? He says, look, I've spent everything that I've got on your behalf. I've got nothing left. My spiritual bank account, my, my physical bank account, my, my actual monetary bank account, I've got nothing left. Because I've spent it all on your behalf. And I'm willing to do it again. Anything else God gives me, I'll do it again. But I'm afraid. I know the risk I'm taking in that choice. And I'm afraid, he says that when I come back to you, here's what I'm going to find. I'm going to find people who do not love one another, who do not care, people who are not experiencing the life of Christ with one another. And I'm afraid that I'm going to find that it's made no difference in your life, personally, individually. You're just as unclean as when I first came to you. You still indulge in the same acts of impurity. You're still you're still fighting with the same lifestyle that calls, that calls wrong right. He says, I'm afraid that that's what I'm going to find. Even though I've spent everything I've got for you. And the question that comes up here that I think Paul's trying to address with them, and I think this is his exclamation on it. And the question is this, what goes on a Christian resume? What do you put on a Christian resume? You see, he's contrasting his care and concern with, with the way of these, of these super apostles. They, the things they put on their resume were things like, everywhere I've gone, I've been beloved. I'm, I'm an eloquent speaker. I've got an entourage that takes care of me. When I go into a town, if I ask for the green M&Ms, they give them to me. I'm I'm somebody. And their indications of their importance were inflated. And Paul turns that around and he says, "It's it's not the great things that one does. It's not the great things that somebody does that go on your resume. That's not what indicates the value of a life lived right in the kingdom of God. But he says this, it's about how you've impacted others. He says, if my presence with you doesn't lead to greater community, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid that I'm going to speak and you're going to reject me for crying out loud. I've done that and they've stoned me and caned me and whipped me. I can, I can deal with that. I've been through that. What really breaks my heart, he says, what really causes me anguish is when those who claim the name of Christ, those who belong to the church, when they can't live at peace with one another, when there's discord and strife, when they're all, when, when, when they're all after one another, when they're trying, to, when they're trying to, to settle scores with one another, when they, when they just can't get along. That's what breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I step back in and I find that the same pagan ways of life that you would have without Christ are true in your life even though you say you've got Christ. That breaks my heart. He says, it's not the mighty things that I've done that go on my resume. It's you. You're on my resume. That's the measure of a Christian life. In spring, my son did a report on Jackie Robinson. I think I'd heard this quote, but it it struck me when I was preparing for this. Jackie Robinson, uh, I mean, he became a civil rights hero as the first African-American player in Major League Baseball. And Jackie Robinson, at one point, said this. He said, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Now, the truth is, I have no idea if Jackie Robinson was a follower of Christ. I don't know. But he captured at least a portion of the truth there, didn't he? that the value of life, when it's all said and done, it's it's not the one with the biggest toys who wins, right? It's not the one who could command more people who wins. When it's all said and done, the value of a life is in the impact that it made on others. And so, in thinking through this, I reflected on Chris, the young man I know, who struggled mightily in his walk with God at times and has moved on now. And he's pastoring a church, walking faithfully with God, and yet the struggle's not over. He's still wrestling, but I'd like to put Chris on my resume. I've touched that life. But I'm also afraid because I know there's a Ryan Right, And I've spent a lot of time with Ryan. And Ryan, Ryan's questions have always outnumbered his answers. And Ryan to this day struggles. And Ryan would say, I just don't believe. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe that he sent his son. I don't believe it. And his life indicates the fact that faith is no, no part of his, his makeup. And there's Stephanie. Stephanie's this bright young woman who's pursuing graduate studies in theology and she wants to teach the Bible to others. And, and I've touched that life and I want her to be on my resume, but in the other column, right? In the other column's Amanda. And Amanda set out with the same goals in mind and she lasted about six weeks and she gave in and indulged the flesh. And Amanda is, I don't know that she necessarily rejects God, but she leads a pretty indulgent life sort of um, unapologetically. And I would, I would close by sort of asking this question. Two questions, maybe. Who's who's on your resume? Who is it? What are the lives that you've impacted? And I wonder, as, as can happen, I wonder if we don't even have names. That we've borrowed the world's definitions of greatness and influence and we've stopped pursuing impact in lives and we've started to to pursue impact with stuff or power or prestige but Paul's argument what he's what he where he's taken us here in second corinthians is to get to this point to say how how, how do you how do you measure the value of a person what metric are you trying to use if it's a metric of 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 um, personal gain it's the wrong metric but if the measurement is in the, the, the impact in lives the measurement is in the investment in lives we're on the right page and I'm proud to be a part of a place I wasn't Paid to say this, okay? I'm proud to be a part of a place that's so valued, right? The people that that lead you here, the the, the men that are on staff here, the people that lead your cell groups here at Life Community, they get this. They get that what's, what's significant, what the most significant impact that can be had is in you walking with your Savior. And people that have spent everything they've got for others. And we could, we could line people up across the front here. And they could tell, tell stories of others in the room in the way that they, they gave their last dollar because there was a need. Or they stepped in and spent all day helping in a difficult situation Because someone was struggling, that's not. We don't want that to die. Paul says it's it's good and it's right and it's important, and it's it is it is the work that's worth defending. Okay, the impact we can have in another life. Let me pray. Father, thanks again for another day, and thanks for your words, and um, thank you for. Being patient with broken vessels, and as we as we recognize, Lord that um, so often we 've failed we 've come short, and even with regularity we just we make it about things that that don 't matter that aren 't important, God, we confess that and ask um, for your grace we thank you for your patience with us and god we pray even now that as um as we move forward that um your spirit would prompt us when we have measurements of success and failure that that are inadequate for actually determining who we are what our impact has been remind us of the times where your grace has moved through us to others. And God, show us how we can do that more. Father, we are, um, we're just a, a group of people that desire to be with you and um, to walk with you and to see how it is that, um, that you influence life and you bring us into this community together. So we, we pray now that, um, that your will would be done in us, among us, through us. And uh, we offer ourselves as, as vessels for you. And uh, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.